Welcome to Bear Creek AG's online service podcast. We're so glad that you tuned in with us today. We upload a new service every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. So we look forward to having you tune in with us again. Here's today's message. Well, are you in the book of Acts? Are you in chapter 8? You know, this week as I was reading over this particular section of Acts, it's, it's, it's one of those that you don't hear a lot of preachers preach about. It's kind of one of those odd ones, Brother Jerome, because of the nature of this particular story. But as I was praying this week, God, God reminded me when I was preaching about Barnabas. Remember Barnabas several, about six to eight weeks ago? And I was preaching about um, Ananias and Sapphira. You notice how those are one behind the other. And what God did for us in those two stories is He showed us a guy like Barnabas who had his heart right. He was, he was called the brother of encouragement because why? He gave freely of what he had to encourage, to bless those. And then right after that, he gives us Ananias and Sapphira who what? Who didn't give for the right motives. And they lied about what they gave. It, it's, a, it's a black and white. It's a, it's a positive, it's a negative. It's an opposite. You know, we studied for two Sundays... In between that, uh, Brother Terry preached, but we preached, we talked about Stephen. I'm trying to, can I help you put the dots together? I don't just get up here and beat my gums. I know some of y'all think that. There's a lot of prayer and thought that's put into the presentation of the gospel. There really is. And then what I want you to do, and I didn't put these two together until this week. Maybe you have. God bless you. You're, you're far advanced than me. And hey, that's, that's good. But I didn't. But he gives us another example. He gives us an example of Stephen who lived his life for the glory of God. And even died for the glory of God. We studied Stephen. And then right after that, he's going to give us the guy we're going to talk about today. And the opposite, where Stephen lived for the glory of God, this gentleman we're going to talk about today and look at in Scripture, actually did nothing for the glory of God. If anything, he did everything for his glory. See? And I want you to be open to this message today. We are going to be uh, looking at Simon. He's known as Simon the Sorcerer. And I've entitled this message, uh, False Faith. Uh, because we're going to look at his faith and we're going to make an, 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 a decision. We're going to make our least... I'm going to give you information where you can make a decision. You can make a, an evaluation of whether his faith was truly true faith or false faith. Now, I know right now you're kind of on edge about, about judge, being judgmental. But trust me, we're going to look at this. It's in here for a reason. If it's in here for a reason, I'm not going to skip over it. Although it's a tough message to preach. I'm not going to look over it. I'm going to give you what the Holy Spirit has given me to give to you. And from that, you make an evaluation for yourself of this Scripture. Okay? Um, what we're going to find is the Scripture is going to tell us that Simon believed, that Simon was baptized in water, and that Simon followed Philip. All that would seem to be the true signs of a disciple on the surface. It looks great. But in the end, I think we're going to find that he didn't have real faith. He had false faith. Now, this is very important to me as a pastor. I, I can't speak to every pastor in America or every pastor in the pulpit today around the world. I know that for those that I fellowship with, this is a concern for pastors, and particularly for me. What is that concern, pastor? 
That there would be people who sat in the sanctuary, that sat in our congregation, who sat under the same roof that I'm, that I'm leading under, and would be here and would be unsaved. That's a concern for me. That there might be somebody some, uh, uh, that, that would attend church, and maybe even attend regularly, but would not have had that saving encounter with Christ. They attend church, part of the body, but are not born again. They might even think they're going to heaven. They may talk about God, but there is no real relationship with Jesus. There's no holiness in their life. That's a word that we don't hear a lot about, but we have to remember that God told us, You're, you be holy because I'm holy. Now we do that through Him. But there's still that, that revelation that we're to be holy people. Holy nation. That we're set aside for the purpose of being in relationship with God and spreading the gospel. They may have at one point raised their hand. They may have even come down to the altar to make a decision to follow Christ. They may have even followed Jesus and being water baptized. They, you know what, they may have even became, a, a, but they never became a disciple of Christ. They, they don't pray, they don't read the Bible, they, they don't do what Christians ought to do. And I'm not, I'm not telling you what Christians should do or not do. The Bible is very explicit about that. They don't follow the ways of God is what I'm trying to point out. Nothing changed in their life. Jesus is not the Lord of their life. Okay. Now, these individuals have claimed to have faith, but there's no fruit in their lives. And I believe, as a pastor, this is one of my biggest concerns for the church today. Well, you're quiet, and I understand why. I understand why. A.W. Tozer, I don't know how many of y'all know who A.W. Tozer is. I have several of his books. He's a a pastor uh, from the mid-20th century. That would be for us that were alive back then. He was in the 19th. Well, I wasn't alive in the 50s, but the 60s. He wrote this. Now, he's not Jesus. He's not God. But he was a very anointed minister of the gospel. He said that, It's my opinion that tens of thousands of people, if not millions, have been brought into some kind of religious experience by accepting Christ. And they have not been saved. If your Christian conversion did not reverse the direction of your life, if it did not transform it, then you are not converted at all. Basically, what he's saying is, is your life should be the evidence, the proof, of a regenerated life, of a born-again believer in Christ. Somebody who is following the ways of God. Now, you may be thinking, are you judging my salvation? And let me make it very clear today, I'm not judging anybody's salvation but my own. And all I'm asking you to do is, based on the Word of God, based on the Scripture that God has given us, that you evaluate and you judge your own relationship with God. That's really all I'm asking today. I think that's all the Holy Spirit is asking us today. I think that's why this, this, this particular story about Simon is in the Bible. It's there for a reason. Let's discover the reason. Let's look at his life and see if we cannot identify some markers, some characteristics in his life that we can come back and say, wait a minute, do I, am I like that? Or am I like what the Word tells me I should be? Well, the first thing as we, we can look at this is, and every once in a while I'm going to need an amen. So, Brother Fred, your job is to amen me when it gets way too quiet, okay? So, just make sure you know what you're amening, okay? So, just, there we go, alright. That's what I need, some encouragement, alright? I need somebody over here to volunteer to be my amen over here in the corner. Amen. I'm not nervous about this message at all. But after the service we've already had, it's like, okay, Lord, what are you up to this morning? 
Well, the first characteristic we can see in Simon is a prideful view of yourself, a prideful view of self, a prideful view of life. If there's something that can keep a lot of people from salvation, it's pride. Pride is that, is that one thing that will keep us from being saved. Uh, they have the wrong view of humanity. So often we think that we can be good enough to go to heaven. We think that I live a good life because I come to church. Or because I volunteer down at the Boys and Girls Club. Or, or uh, I, I help these people out. Or I'm involved with this or, or that. Or whatever it may be. We, we feel like the works... We're going to talk a little bit about works and faith in a minute in the book of James. Works are very important. But we understand that we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our deeds. We're saved by faith. But as we're going to find in a minute, James says you've got to have works to go along with your faith. And so often what happens is, is people they, 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 they think that they're inherently good. And, and you know what? I didn't become a sinner when I sinned. I want that to think for just a minute. When did you become a sinner? Was it the first time that you sinned? Absolutely not. You sinned because you were a sinner, because you were born a sinner. We forget this about our nature. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 3, because of this fall, we are inherently not good people. Now, you could be a good person. I get it. But inherently we're not. Inherently we're selfish. Inherently it's all about me. Three people are important to me. Me, myself, and I. Come on, those are the three books. And that's how we view life. And, and we, we, we forget that it's not all about who we... It's not all about us, but it's about God, okay? We didn't become sinners when we first sinned. We were born sinners. That's the way it, it works. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus is telling a parable. It's one of my favorite parables in the Bible. He's talking about the sower... The seed and the soil. We all know this. It is in Luke and it's also in the book of Mark. And in there he gives us four types of soil. And after he tells the parable about casting the seed into the soil, his, his disciples pull him aside and said, Hey, tell us, what, what did you really mean by that, Lord? And he went to give explanation. And we all know the first one was the wayside. That's the one where the birds came and stole the seed. And we know in the parable that the sower is the person sowing the Word of God. I like to say the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's really the sower. It may be me, it may be Brother Fred, it may be Brother Glenn, it may be Brother Terry, it may be somebody, I don't mean to leave you ladies out, it could be Shelby, it could be anybody, but the Holy Spirit is the sower. We know the seed is the Word of God, and we know the ground is the heart. That's the soil. And it, depending upon the soil, depends on what happens to the Word. So the first ground is the, the, the highway or the byway where it's trampled over and the birds come, we know it, he says that's the enemy. He steals the seed. But what about the other three? In the second one, this is what he says in Luke chapter 8, verse 13. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. Hey, the pastor preached good. Brother Jim taught a good lesson. You know, I heard the person on TV preaching. They received it with joy when they heard it, but they have no root. Because why? That ground is the rocky ground. It's the hard ground. They believe for a while, but in the, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Uh, Mark says this way, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Luke and Mark say of the third type of soil that it's thorny and thistles. And you remember that the, the seed's planted, it grows, but the cares, they say the thorns and thistles string out. The cares of life string, uh, strangle out the seed, the growth of the seed, and it dies. Their faith withers. It dies. Their faith is choked out. It does not mature. It does not produce fruit. It doesn't produce anything in their life, see? The evidence of your salvation is not that you made a decision. 
And that's the beginning. Don't, I'm not undermining the, the raising the hand or coming to the altar. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong at all. That's important that you make that step of, of faith, that, that effort to say, yes, I'm humbling myself. But that's not the evidence that you, you've made a decision. The proof of your salvation is how or what you do with Jesus. Thank you, brother. I believe this parable points out the fact that there are temporary converts. We struggle with that sometimes. But this tells us that there are people who receive the Word gladly, and then because it's hard, there's no root, it dies. Then there's those who receive the Word, and it grows, but because of the cares of the world, because of overwhelming, because of the distractions of the world, the, the things that they want to do, the things they have to do, what happens is it strangles out. And that, that lets me know that these people, that the seed that was planted, that it died. It never produced the fruit. Because what's the evidence of the good ground in ground number four? That it produced, it grew and it produced fruit. That's good fruit. And that's why seeds are planted. That's why I have pepper plants. That's right. That's why you, you, you plant flowers. What's the joy of flowers is when they bloom. Now, I saw my first ruby red this week in my hummingbird bush. Oh, it's beautiful. Right? I grow those, so why? They attract birds. I enjoy watching birds. James says this in chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? What good is that? What, what good is that? Can such faith save them? Can it? What was the answer to that? What did James come up with? No. No, that kind of faith does not. You can say all day long that you're a Christian, but if your life doesn't back up, uh, then you're not. If it doesn't back up what you claim to be, then you're not. I know. I know I wasn't going to get a lot of amens this morning. It's all right. I know that. I know that. It's okay. I want you to think about this. I don't want you to judge your spouse's faith. I don't want you to judge your mama and your daddy's faith, your children's faith. I don't want you to judge my faith. I want you to look internally in yourself today. What's it saying to you today? See? That's what James is saying. He's saying, it is not what you call yourself, it's how you live your life. See? In our text, we find, now we're just getting to our text, we find that Simon believes, but he believes for all the wrong reasons. Verse 9, chapter 8. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. Look at, look at this. This is all about him. Notice that Simon is all about who? Simon. Simon's all about Simon. He amazed people to gain their attention, to get them to follow him. He, he boasted about how great he was. This is a very proud person. This man is very prideful. Pride keeps many people from coming to God. Pride will make people think that they're not as bad as they really are. They, they make people think that I can be good enough to go to heaven. Pride is a big sin. It's a, one of the big sins. It's like one of the top ten sins. I know it's not necessarily part of the top ten, the, the big ten, the ten commandments, but it's actually the sin behind all those sins. It is the foundation for all the ten big ten commandments that when you break them. It's pride. Proverbs 6.16 says this, There are six things the Lord hates, listen to this, and seven that are detestable to Him. And the very first one is what? Haughty eyes. What does that mean, haughty eyes? That means I put mascara on and, and all this kind, and I look like Jezebel. No! He's talking about a proud look here. Sorry, ladies. I'm not preaching against med uh, medicine, against makeup this morning, all right? 
No, he's talking about a haughty, a prideful look. It's the biggest of all sins. And the proof of that is the fact that pride is what made the devil the devil. Well, what did he want? He wanted to be... He wanted God's worship. He was the worship leader of all of God's creation. You can read about it. I studied a little bit about Lucifer this week because someone asked me a question about it. And the pipes and, the, and, and all, the, all the, the metaphors that used it. He's just, he was a beautiful dude. For y'all have seen the Barbie movie, I guess you could say he was Ken. I haven't seen it, I'm just saying. I've seen the commercials, right? Yeah, Luke, you shouldn't say yeah too loud there, buddy. Okay. He was beautiful. But his, and he had the privilege, he was a, he was a rare angel. He, he was one of only a handful that we identified in the Bible. He had one specific job, and that was worship. And yet, because he didn't receive the worship, but he was in charge of it, he wanted to be like God. And so, it was pride. And it's the very thing that led Adam and Eve to, to sin. It was pride. He came to them, and he, he just challenged what God had said. And then he said, what was his explanation? Well, God don't want you to know good and evil because you'll be like Him. Don't you? And I'm paraphrasing here. Don't you want to be like God? It was pride that led Adam and Eve to sin. It's the biggest of all sins. Simon is all about himself. He is very proud, a very proud person. And his ego is fed by the people. Look at verse 10. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the, the great power of God! Look, don't ever call me that. Please don't put me on a pedestal. Respect me, but don't put me on a pedestal, okay? But what are they saying? He's God! He's like a God! That's what they're saying. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Simon's good at it. They've been following him a long time. He's really good at it, Brother Bill. I mean, they're like, man, we're following this guy because we're seeing all the signs that he's doing, and this made him a very proud person. As long as a person thinks they're good enough, that they're okay, that they can, that, 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 that they, they can never really know what true salvation is. The person who comes to God is a person who humbles himself. And let me stop right here and say, humbling is not saying, I'm nothing, I'm but a worm. You're not a worm. I don't think that's biblical either. Humility is not saying, Oh God, I'm nobody. Oh God, look. Oh, woe is me. I don't think that's it either. I think it's coming to the realization that I know who I am. I know the state of my heart. I know, God, I can't do for myself what I need to be able to do for myself. And that is be in right relationship with you. So therefore, Father, I'm going to trust in what Jesus did, your son. You sent your son to die for me. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself. So therefore, I'm putting my faith and trust in that work on the cross for me, I'm humbling myself and saying, I can't be saved without Him. I'm depending upon Him and I'm depending upon you. That's humility. That's humility, see. You know what keeps people from making that decision? Pride. It is. It's pride. They think they're good enough. They, 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 they're afraid of what people will think. And people will think things. Afraid of how it's going to look. Don't want to be labeled a Jesus freak. I don't want to be labeled a fanatic. Afraid of what, uh, what they have to give up. People are afraid of what they have to give up. And the reality of it is, I'm going to preach this in a moment, you're going to have to give everything up. But the reality is, is when you give it all up and you feel, realize what you have in Jesus, it's going to make you look at all that stuff in a different way. It's like, man, I get Jesus? And everything that comes with Him? Hey, shh. Push that to a side. I want Jesus. Afraid of what your family would say, what your friends will say? 
You know what they may say? Praise God. It's about time. You got saved. See? In terms of salvation, humility is saying, God, on my own, I'll never be good enough. I'll never be righteous enough to get into heaven. That is why I'm putting my faith in you and, and, and for you to help me to do what I could never do for myself. Proud people will never do that. If you've heard the gospel, you're here this morning, you've never heard the gospel, and you never humbled yourself and, and submitted your life to Christ, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, pride is why you haven't done it. It's pride. See? James tells us in chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives us more grace. He gives us grace. That is why the Scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. If pride rules your life, God will oppose you. He will resist you. If you have pride in your life, God will leave you at arm's length. And He's got some pretty long arms. If He can pull me out of the miry clay, <laughs> He's got some long arms. And that's what He's saying right here. He says, listen, I, God is going to keep you at arm's distance if you have pride in your life. He is not. But if you humble yourself before the Lord, you receive Christ, you understand your relationship and, and how, how God wants that relationship, then you know what He does? He then pulls you in close to Him. He draws you in. He hungs you. Uh, uh, you. He hugs you. He extends grace to you. He gives you His favor. He gives you blessings. Can't do that for the prideful person. Simon came to God, not because he needed God. Right? He didn't come to God because he needed God to do for him what he couldn't do for himself. No, he came to God with other motives. He really was fueling his pride. So pride is one. We also find that another problem that we see uh, with Simon, that I see with a lot of people today in churches, he went through the motions. Just going... Through the motions. Look at how we break his life down here. Verse 12. But when, they but when they believed, this is the other people, believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. So Philip preaches the word, and they're not too sure about it, if you remember the message last week. But then God threw him to signs and wonders. Now he has their attention. Because of that, their faith arises. They believe. They accept Christ as Lord and Savior. They're baptized, and now they're following Philip around. Okay? Who you think's aware of this? Simon. So what does he do? Verse 15, 13. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When you read, go back and read this for yourself, and you start questioning what I preach today, and you want to prove me wrong or find something in it, okay, I know how it is. Hey, you're supposed to do that. All right? Look how many times it says amazed or astonished in here. But it's not speaking necessarily about God. This man was full of pride. All right? And this is a proof that he did not, he just went through the motions. See, so many people miss this because they don't read the rest of the story. They don't follow it all the way to the end. But this is all about him learning to do what Philip did. Eventually, Peter and John show up and he wants to do what they're able to do. He even offers to buy the ability, if you're going to find here in just a minute. It's all about him. It's all about lifting up his business, lifting up his following. It's pointing all to him. So we have to be careful. Don't let, in this Scripture, believe and baptize fool you. In this Scripture, about, about this man named Simon, be careful not to let believe and, and baptize fool you. If we're not careful, people can fall into this trap today. Raise your hand. Go into the altar. It doesn't save you. Water baptism. It doesn't save you. Take a communion. It doesn't save you. That, that's what I think God wants to point out through this 
this, through this message. Going to church doesn't save you. Now, should, as Christians, we do all these things? Sure. But that's because we're already born again. They don't save us. The proof of salvation is not that you came forward and were baptized. The proof of salvation is how you live your life after you came forward and were baptized. It's after that, see? Everyone is getting saved. So Simon is going to get saved. He's going through the motions, but he's not changing his life. There's nothing different about his life. He's keeping up with the crowd. He's just following along, watching what Philip does. He wants this ability. His motivation is not the need for salvation. He's trying to figure out how to incorporate the miracles that Philip is performing into his show, into his business. We have been preaching a false gospel for quite a while. Meaning this. We have made, we have said the statement and we have presented the gospel as being saved is something that is easy. Now this is a pregnated pause. You may not be agreeing with your pastor right now. That's okay. I, 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 like, I like it when we decipher the word of God. But we say, hey, it's easy to be saved. But that's not what Jesus said. He never said it would be easy. He called the gate narrow, the way narrow. He never said it was easy. Look at, look at Luke 13, 22, okay? He said, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as He made His way to Jerusalem. Someone asked Him, Lord, are, are only a few people going to be saved? Lord, what, how, what, what, what is the number, right? He said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. What's that mean? Many are, many are going to try, but they're not going to be able to. What does that mean? Is he discriminating? No, he, he's not. That word there, Greek, make every effort, means to, to compete. You've got to contend. You gotta, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Every day it's a struggle. Yes, I have the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I be honest with you? I need it because every day it's a struggle. I fight my flesh just like you do. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, just like you do. It's not easy. You're not here today because you wanted to be. Some of you, some of you fought it today. Man, I wish I could sleep in. Man, I'd like to go to the beach. Man, I'd love to go fishing. If it's hunting season, man, I wish I'd be like the bunch of heathens out there talking about all the deer they kill on Sunday. Lord, why do you let them kill deer on Sunday when I'm not there? I know I've been there. I'm still there. It's, it's not easy. Do you hear what? This is Jesus speaking. It's, it's not easy. What He's saying is very simple. It's going to be a struggle within you. You have to strive. You have to fight to enter the narrow door, which represents Him in salvation. You've got to give up everything. You have to unload everything. You've got to unload your will. You have to unload your will. And now if your husband is will, Shannon, that doesn't mean you have to unload will your husband, alright? I'm glad you guys are here this morning because I can use that joke. I, did, I just came up. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's real good. That's good. Amen. That's good, Pastor. Alright. You're being spontaneous this morning. You know what else you have to unload? Your dreams. Your desires. You got to check them at the gate. See, you got to cast way of thinking. Your attitudes. He's not looking for perfection. He's just saying, "Submit it, lay it down, lay it down." Come on, 
your bias, your pride, your sin, your unforgiveness, your bitterness, your hatred. It all has to be set aside. You, said, you have to set everything and, 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 and just submit it all to Christ. And what do you get in return? The joy of Christ. The majesticness of Christ. The peace of Christ. The beauty of Christ. When you get there, you think, wow, am I glad I did that. But getting there is the challenge. I love how Paul puts it in Philippians 3. He describes the things that he had before Christ this way. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony real briefly. I'm not looking for pats on the back. It's a decision I made. I really didn't have a choice. But I had a very nice job in a very large uh, top 10 company in, in the United... Well, it was in the world at the time. I worked for International Paper back in the 80s. I had a great job. I made, I made bucks for a 25, 26-year-old. I know, baby, you're going to cry again. Don't cry. All right? I did. Had two stints with the international paper, and the second time was better than the first time. I'm, I mean, they paid me for, they paid me good for not doing, I won't say I didn't do a lot, I did a lot, but they paid, paid me for my knowledge, not my skill, if that makes sense. I lay that down. I'm not going to tell you that it was an easy task because it really wasn't. But when I knew God had called me into ministry, I had to lay it down. It, it was His will, not my will. See, And now that I look back, I'm so glad I did. I've got you. And I've got this mega industry called the church. And our product that we're producing isn't paper and glue and resins and rosins and all that and tires. We're producing... Christians and we're going out and we're reaching the lost. This has eternal value. That didn't now if you're not if you're working in second, I'm not don't get me wrong, don't go quit your job. I'm not saying that's when you and Lord. But I'm just saying I look back and that's what Paul says. He says, Whatever we gain to me, I consider lost for the sake of Christ. That's for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the calling, for the for your sake. That's that's lost. I'm not complaining at that about that all whatsoever. He said, What is more I consider everything a loss because of the surpass, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. My Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. It's because of Him that I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I counted off that word there, garbage. Uh, the, the uncensored word would be sewage. I mean, it's garbage because that is a proper interpretation, but it could mean garbage, it could mean trash, it could mean sewage. In other words, it's, it's stuff that we don't want, we discard. It's, it's not, because why? It has no value to us. It has no value to us. And that, that's, that's what he's saying right here. He, he, that's exactly how he's describing it. All that I had before Jesus, all that I gave up is garbage, is rubbish, is dung compared to what I have in Christ. I, all I thought was valuable in reality is nothing compared to my relationship with Jesus. And, and that's true. If you really have a relationship with Jesus, you're willing to give it all up. You're ready to give it all up for, for the value of that relationship, that personal Connection with God through His Son, Jesus. The third thing I notice as we look at this, is Simon's and Simon's false faith, is that it had an economic view of the Spirit. What does that mean, economic view of the Spirit? Well, you're going to find out he's going to try to buy this gift of laying on the hands and people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't think that you all or we all are putting a value. Obviously, there are some in ministry that puts value 
on ministry. In other words, what can I get out of pastoring? How, how large of a church can we grow these ministries so that, it, hey, I get all this money? So, it's, so there is an element of that. But I don't think the average person on the pew is thinking that way. So what I would encourage us as I looked at this, uh, this portion of uh, Simon's character, it should cause us to think about our motives for being saved. Really, there's alternative motives to being saved? There are. Some people, look, if, if, it should be, just cut to the chase, it should be based on the fact that you love Jesus and Jesus loves you. But so often we look at it, what's in it for me? We do. We approach our salvation with, with what's in it for me? And we have to be careful of that way. Outside of heaven, that should all that should matter. See, that I'm going to be with him for eternity. Let's just cut to the scripture here. Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had, had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to investigate. That's really what they're doing. Hey, the word of God has come to Samaria. We're hearing people are getting saved and baptized in the water down there through Philip's ministry. We need to go check this out because this isn't normal. This shouldn't be happening. When did the gospel go to the Samaritans? Remember, they're dogs. If you hear last week, they're dogs. They're, they're second class Citizens, what, what, what? So they said, hey, let's go down there. Let's see what's going on in Philip's ministry. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers. So obviously, reading between lines, they came down, hey, this, this is real. These people have accepted Christ. They're, they're, they're following Christ. So when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that, uh, that they may receive the Holy Spirit. See? Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So at, at, at salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. They had already been saved. So when Peter and, and John come up, they said, no, we want to pray that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need now the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which we have to understand in today's church, that has become something that you can or cannot do or something you should or you don't have to do. In reality, if the first thing that these two guys come to this area of Samaria and find out that there's people have been saved and baptized in water, if they feel like the next thing, the most important thing for them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we? And that's not in my message. I just feel like I've got to go there for a minute. How important is it for us if it's important for them? See, we, we have to understand that's what they're praying for here is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're already saved. They've already confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. They're following Philip. They get down there and say, hey, this is real. What we heard is real. You know what they need? They need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received what? The Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands, and I'm sorry I put my own emphasis on there, that I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I don't want to lead the congregation, lead the witnesser. But we see that. What's he seeing? What is he seeing? Peter and John laying hands on people. And they're filled with the, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. How does he know they've been filled with the Holy Spirit? There's an evidence. Probably... And even, even, even theologians today that are more conservative, conservative meaning that they don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit for today, even they acknowledge that, yeah, these guys, these, these people were speaking in tongues. And what Simon did was he saw them speaking in tongues in languages they did not know. And so he says, hey, this is a new stick to my gig. I want that. What do I have to do to have this ability? What is the cost? How much do I have to pay so that people come to me and I can lay my hands on them and then be baptized in the Holy Spirit? That's what's happening in this story. Let's, let's grasp what's going on here, okay? He thought the Holy Spirit, he thought the move of God, he thought the blessings of God was something you could buy, but God's work is not for sale. Do you understand that? God's work is not for sale. Verse 20, Peter answered, May your money perish with you. 
Okay? May your money perish with May your money be damned along with you. And he's not damning him to hell, but he's saying basically you are damned. You read on. You're damned. This attitude, this, this, this idea that you can buy salvation, that you can buy the ministry, that you can buy the work of God, you can buy the ability to lay hands. Listen, all that's good. You, you and your money, you're done for. Okay? Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Now this is a major indication right here where Simon spiritual, is spiritual. He's not truly a follower at this point. He's only going through the motions because of what's in it for him. The final thing I note, just to bear with me, I'll try, no, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to try. You need to hear the full, this full message. That leads us to the final characteristic we see in Simon in regards to his, his false faith. And that is faith doesn't take sin seriously. False faith doesn't take sin seriously. You're happy with sin in your life. You're tolerant of the sin in your life. You're not doing anything to eradicate the sin in your life. Now, I understand that we're all in different places with our walk with God. I want to hear me. I want to back up. I'm asking you not to judge me, but I'm not judging you. I'm not apologizing. I'm just saying, this is the message for you to do an inward evaluation. I understand every person in here is at a different place in their step, in their walk, in their, in, in their procession towards, their journey toward, formed into the image of Christ. Meaning this, some of you have not been saved as long as others. So there's still some things in your life. That's not... I'm not sending you to hell. I don't want you to feel condemnation. It's an evaluation message. But we have to evaluate it because here's the thing. It's a journey. It's a, it's a process. It's a progress. You're not saved and then you've arrived. No more than when you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues, you've arrived. It's a process. It's a, it's a continuation. Same thing with God. It's not that you get saved every day with Jesus, but every day or every moment of every day, you're taking another step. You're, you're casting off more. I'm going through the gate. I'm saved. I'm through. But man, this is hard carrying all this stuff. So i got to start letting go of some stuff because I'm there, I'm there. But man, this narrow, it's narrow. i got to let go of this. It's a process. You're not there to camp in that moment. You're passing through. This is just a journey for you into the image of Christ until Christ is ready to bring you home, whether through the grave or through the rapture. It's just a process. It's a progress. It's a journey that we have to go through. So what does that mean? In our journey, we have to learn. We have to learn. We have to learn right from wrong. We have to learn what it means to be a disciple. We have to learn what God's plans are I was in Glenn's Sunday school class this morning and talking about the, the, that God has a plan for everybody. He has, he has a ministry for everybody. He has a purpose. I wanted to scream, but I didn't want to take, out, take over the class. Ephesians 2, God laid out works for all of us before we were ever born. He created you for good work. You have it laid out for you. you just got to submit to it, and it's a process. See, there's some things you've got to learn about, some things you've got to let go of. That, that means you get into a small group. That means you get into a discipleship program. That's what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to get you saved or just saved. We want you saved. We want you to begin growing in the Lord. Because once you learn what God has for you, 
Once you learn what God wants you to do, what He doesn't want you to do, who He wants in your life, who He doesn't want in your life, what career path He wants for you, once you learn that, now you can make an informed decision to follow the ways of Christ, to walk in obedience to Him. And man, you grow. It's like, whoa, man. Now I can look back and say, God is faithful. Here, I couldn't say that. Oh, I could say it. Oh boy, but it was more word than belief. Are you with me? Come on. Are you, are you with me here? This is, this is, good, this is good preaching. This is, this is, you, you, we, have to, we have to evaluate ourselves. Yes, you came to an altar. You were baptized in water. But what have you done since then? Where are your works? Where's your fruit? Oh, help me, Lord. God designed us, and He knows exactly how we have to live to be filled with some things. So he gives, us, he gives us boundaries. He gives us His Word. Some do's, some don'ts, some how-to's. The Bible's a how-to. How to walk, how to walk with God. How to encounter God. How to live for God. That's what the Bible is. You walk in obedience to it, then you experience these things. So what is that? You experience His presence. Man, wasn't it wonderful as we humbled our hearts and, 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 and respected the Holy Spirit today and we made time? The presence filled the room. Man, what a thickness. We're filled with joy. This is how we're filled with not just His presence, but with His joy. This is how we're filled with His peace. Some of y'all lack peace because of the things you're doing. It's not what God wants you to be doing. I just want to, I just want to take some of you by your ears and shake you. You don't know peace because you're walking contrary to what God wants for your life. And you know it. You're in turmoil on the inside. But it's because your will is what you want and not His will. Filled with His blessings. See, He has guidelines, commandments, boundaries to help us to encounter these very things that we really want in our lives. It's about living a life that honors the Lord. Stephen, it's about living our life, even if it's unto our death, for the Lord. That's what brings Him glory. And when you live that way, then you will discover that's where the joy is. Living for God. Submitting to God. Living your life to honor God. That's where the peace is. That's where the power is. If you don't submit to God, He's not going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. He begins first with submission. Oh gosh, I hope that anointing is getting all over y'all in the front row. I'm drooling all over myself this morning. Tongue can't keep up with my brain. That's where the purpose is. That's where the favor is. That's where life to the fullest is found. We want that. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. I want that abundant life. What are you doing to receive it? Living our lives for the glory of God. Now back to Simon. Verse 21. We're almost there. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. That literally means his heart is not straight. It's not upright. It's not sincere before God. So here's your proof. Simon's heart is not right with God. Now, right now, I know what you're thinking, because I thought it as I'm preparing saying, Lord, wait a minute. You mean there's never a time when a Christian's heart can't be right with you? Don't we all struggle in the flesh? Don't we all go back for seconds when we shouldn't? Y'all don't look at my belly. Look at my chin. Four of them. Now it's... My, my four chins have now evolved to one big chin. Sure, we all do. We, we, we all have those times. I was communicating with the pastor this morning over in Fort Walton, and he said he's going through a season where it just 
the Lord isn't that close. I don't mean that the sin is life, but the idea of it is that God just don't seem close to him. And we do. And there's times that that's brought on by the fact that we, we aren't right with God. We've let something in our lives or someone in our lives that we shouldn't. Okay, so I'm not saying you can't ever, that can't happen. But what does a Christian do when they know they're not right with God? Do you hold on to it? Oh, oh. Look at my little sin. Isn't it cute? Do you hold on to it? Do you, do you cuddle it? Do you see how close you could get to it? And that's the one thing with Christians today. I've been saying this for 13 years as your pastor. The, the problem uh, with sin is not sin. It's with Christians because we want to see how close we can get to sin before it becomes sin. I'm being cute and funny. Because you've got to be able to take this medicine. See? What, 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 do, we, what do we do with it, see? We, we, we repent. We, you don't tolerate the sin. I'm not, I'm not, I live in a glass house. I'm not throwing stones. I'm just telling you what the Word of God is telling us to do. You don't, you don't hang on to it. You let go of it. You don't cuddle it. You, uh-uh. You get as far away from it as you can, but we like to say, okay. Right? I can only tell you what I see. Right? You don't play around with it. You don't embrace it. You don't cuddle it. You don't baby it. You let go of it. You have to, you get away from the very appearance of it. You don't accept your sin. You see it as sin and you repent and repent means I'm turning from it. If that's sin, I'm going as far away from it as I can. Doesn't matter what the sin is. We can start categorizing sin. Doesn't matter. You got a lying tongue? Quit lying. You got a lustful heart? Stop lusting. Right? Boy, I wish you guys could see what I see right now. If you like your sin or your sinful situation and accept it with no plans to change it, you have to ask yourself, why? Pride, part of it. Pride's part of it, see? It might be you're in a fallen state or you're on your way to a fallen state. You're probably saying, Pastor, this ain't how you grow a church. These messages aren't, this ain't nothing like I'm hearing on TV. But you know what? This is exactly how you grow a church. You need to hear the truth. You need to be growing in the Lord. I'm not worried about growing numerically. I'm worried about growing you. That's my concern. I don't want anyone in here to end up in hell. Not if I can do anything about it. I'm a watchman on the wall. And I'm just saying, look out! Watch out! Judgment is coming! I want you to be ready. Simon wasn't saved. From the outside, he made it appear to be saved. But Peter, speaking his true spiritual condition, said this, Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that you may find, or you may forgive, excuse me, that He may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Great advice. Turn from it. Turn from it. There's still time. There's still hope for you. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. That's what's in Simon. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter reveals 
the man's heart to himself. Receive this word today. That's not the heart of a Christian. We struggle with sin, but we're not captive by it. We've been set loose from it. Bitterness is not of God. We can speculate what his bitterness is over. He's probably bitter at Philip because he's losing all of his people to Philip's ministry. We don't know that though. What we do know is that Peter looked into it. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me. Well, he pray for himself. I'm not against for praying people, you asking people to pray for you. But this man, listen, he says, pray for me. Pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. What, what he's doing, he's saying, repent for me. You know what? No one can repent for you. I can pray for you, but I can't, I can't repent for you. Peter couldn't repent for Simon no more than anyone can repent for you. It, that just doesn't happen, see. That's why every person, one day, whether saved or unsaved, will still stand before God alone. In the sense that, I'm not going to be held responsible for your sin. Now, I'm going to be held responsible as your pastor. I'm going to preach the Word. God's not going to be able to get up there and say, why didn't you preach about Simon? All my other servants wouldn't touch Simon because it's confusing. They're afraid to call it for what it is. And listen, I, hey, if you want to say Simon was, was saved, that's fine. By the end of this scripture, he's not. So whether you think he did or didn't, it doesn't matter. Something wasn't right. Something real, and, and I need to be able to preach this to you because you need to be able to hear it. Because why? You have to judge for yourself where you are with the Lord. I'm not talking about putting on airs and making a show to appear because that's dangerous too. That, he was trying to do that. Don't do things to appear to be saved. Be saved and then let your works reflect your salvation. Say, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, come on, you guys, you guys got to get this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And we could, we could talk to we're blue in the face about what God's will is. That's, that's an extensive list. But list, but we know there's some things absolute about God's will for us. That we should be in relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. That we should be walking the life that He's called us to. Walking to obedience to His plans, His word. We should be sharing the gospel. Come on. We know there's some, th there's some things we shouldn't be doing. Lying, cheating, stealing, committing adultery, fornication, homosexuality. All There's some things that are pretty explicit in here. And, and I'm not going to say there's some gray areas. because There's a lot of heart issue areas that we have to deal with. Like forgiveness, my Wednesday night small group. But as the, as the Word and the Lord, the Holy Spirit reveals His will, you've got to be doing His will. See? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy Your name? And Your name drive out demons? And Your name perform many miracles? That sounds like a bunch of saved folks. That sounds like a bunch of Pentecostal folks right there. Right? Come on, let's just be honest. This is, I, this is, I mean, it speaks to every denomination. But let's don't point fingers at our Methodists and our Baptists. And our, you know, let's don't point fingers at other non-denominational folks. Let's don't point fingers. Let's, point, let, let's look at us right now. That's Pentecostal right there. We believe, don't we, that we should drive out demons in Jesus' name? Don't we believe that God should be performing miracles uh, uh, through us? Don't, don't we believe in prophecy today? This is the Pentecostal church. Boy. I hope y'all come back next week. It's going to be a little lighter. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. You know what that tells me? 
There are people who believe they are saved but are not. Or they once were saved and they fell away. Simon had faith. But it was false faith. It wasn't faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't saving faith. There's no way. And we can say all we want to. Well, he was new and young in the Lord. That's why I don't believe he was ever saved. I don't. God's merciful God. He believed there was a God. I believe he did. I believe that uh, he believed in the miracles he witnessed. That's why he wanted to be able to do it. I, I believe he was baptized in water like everybody else. He, he was. But his faith was not saving faith. So let me ask you a question this morning. We've had a great altar call this morning. And God's moved. So all that's left is for self-evaluation. The greatest miracle of all, right? Self-evaluation where the Holy Spirit comes in and reveals things to us that we need revealing. I want to ask you a question. What kind of faith do you have? I'm not here looking at you, judging your faith. So as I say that, I'm not saying, well, I've been watching you on Facebook. I know what you did Friday night. Okay. By no means am I here with a rock in my hand throwing it at your glass house. I ask that question to you so that you will know. So you can answer that question for yourself. What kind of faith do you have? Do you have faith that will save you? And you may ask, well, Pastor, I thought I did until you preached this message. And I know, how, do, how would I know that, Pastor? Isn't that the question? How will I know? And I'm closing. I know I'm going to get my motor rails back up. But I, I, I think this is important. And I could spend another hour on how to know that. But I think it comes down really to two things. Two things. I think the first thing is this. The Spirit will bear witness in your heart that you're saved. Okay? Romans 8.16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if you're okay with your sin, and you're saying, I don't think God cares about this, you may not be hearing the Holy Spirit. Okay? Be careful. But the Holy Spirit will confirm within you, I am saved. And then He can deal with you in the other ways. Secondly, I think you have to look at your life. I think you have to be a fruit inspector. And I think you have to look at your own fruit. How healthy is the fruit you're producing? How healthy, healthy is the tree? How deep are the roots? And we have seen all types of scriptures that Jesus uses talking about plants. He's using things that they related to. We can relate to that. How healthy is your life. Second Corinthians, Paul writing here in chapter 13, verse 5, writing to a church that's a little bit of trouble here, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Test yourself, right? Test yourself. Do, not, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to test. And the question always is, what is the test? Test yourself. What is the test of your faith? How, how, how do I know that? How can I verify what my faith is? And I, I put a few questions down here, and then, and then we're going to pray. All right? These are the questions I put down as I was just praying about this message. Didn't even have my clothes until Thursday, so it's like, okay, Lord, how, how do you land this plane? Obviously not very quickly. Does your life reflect a love for God? 
Come on. Come on. Does your life reflect that you have a love for God? Do you love God? I mean, that's the greatest commandment, right? Do you strive to love and honor God with your life? I hear a lot of people say, I love God. But what about how do you express that love for God? You don't have to live your life like I do. And I'm not talking about worship. I'm just talking about day to day. How does your life reflect the love that you say you have for your Creator, your Heavenly Father? There again, I'm not casting stones. I'm not judging your actions. I'm judging my actions. <laughs> Who's in charge of your life? Are you in charge? Or is God in charge? How do you feel about your sin? Right now, going through your mind, you're thinking about your sin. Pride, greed, lust, selfishness, lying spirit. Hate. Unforgiveness. Bitterness. Impatience. Anger. Temper. Okay. How do you feel about it? You know, it doesn't mean you don't have it. You have it. How do you feel? How do you, how do you process it? What are you doing with it? And how do you treat others? Love God, love others. This way first. Do you have a love for others? Regardless of their political affiliation? Regardless of their sexual orientation? Out of what kind of car they drive, where they live, who their football team is. I've had to learn to love Auburn fans, and I do. Trying to convert them. Yeah. How do you treat others? What is the product of your life that is evidence that you are saved? Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 16, you will know them by their fruit. If there is no sign in the way you live, that you're saved, then you might be like Simon. You may not be. Only you can determine that. I can't. All I can do is warn you, bring it to your attention. Now, I know this is a strong message, and this is not the small print or the disclaimer. I don't apologize at all. At all. And you may think that I'm being very legalistic and judgmental, but I want to assure you that's not the purpose of this message. But we have to acknowledge this is in the Word of God. What is the purpose? Is it just to beat up a man named Simon? Or is it to show us that we need to be careful? There are warning signs for us as believers to make sure that we have real faith and not false faith. And if the worst thing I've done is ticked you off, and made you go home and study this to prove that I'm wrong about anything in this Scripture then that's not a bad fallout. It's not. But what if there's someone in here this morning, and it may be you, and this has got your attention, you've got comfortable with your sin. And what, maybe you've just accepted it. Maybe it's not a comfortability. Maybe it's just something you've accepted. Well, I've tried and tried and tried. It's just got a hold on my life. It won't let go. I'm just going to live with it. 
Right, Miss Brenda? Now you're good. No, I'm glad you amen because everybody knows your story. So what you're saying is that you're going to tolerate it and God doesn't have the power to eliminate it. The reason why He don't have the power to eliminate it, which He does, by the way, but it's because you won't submit it to Him. If you think your pastor is without sin or without struggle, without temptation, you are bravely mistaken. Do I strive not to sin? Every moment of every day. But it's a strive. Because why? The gate is narrow. I'm not in fear of, of letting go of my salvation, but I sure don't want anything to hinder my relationship with Jesus and His ability for me to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are billboards for the lost world. Father, thank You. Lord, I thank You purposely moved the way you did today. You, there were, honestly, God, we know there's needs and things that need to be unloaded in people's lives and just sickness, God. And, and Lord, I thank you for those miracles, God. We, we need to be better, God, about celebrating those kind of miracles, Lord. We need to be better about documenting them, Lord, so we can look back on them one day and when, when Father, we fear that miracles may have stopped, just to be reminded that you're still God. But Lord, I think part of it, Lord, there at the end, God, was so that we could prepare our hearts in that quiet time to hear from you. And I believe that we began speaking in that quiet time and have used this humble servant, this vessel, Lord, to speak into the hearts of your people. Now, Father, I'm, I'm honest. I know, God, that there's some here that did not receive this message. And, and Lord, it may be simply because, Lord, they are good with you. They are, God. I, there are people I know, the majority of this church, if not all of us here today, God, Lord, I know, Father, that they are serving you and they're loving you. But if nothing else, God, may we evaluate how we look at sin. Because sin is something, Lord, that when we allow into our lives, it does bring friction. It does separate us, us from you. Maybe not for, from salvation, but it definitely becomes a hindrance, Lord, in our ability to approach you. We can approach you for forgiveness, God, but the sin prevents us from that communicating with you. So, Lord, I pray that today, that every one of us in the hearing of this message, Lord, even online, God, that we would evaluate our hearts, our lives, to see what is the sin in my life that I'm comfortable with? Or what is the sin in my life, God, that I'm hanging on to? Or what is the sin in my life, God, that I don't believe you have the power to eliminate? Or what is the sin in my life I don't want to eliminate? Because it feels good. I like it. Lord, we're all on this walk Different places, but it's the same walk being transformed into your image. Holy Spirit, right now, speak. With every head bowed and eye closed. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you're here this morning and you bought what I believe is a lie, that all you have to do is say this prayer and you're saved and nothing after that ever happened to you, if you want that to change, you're not knowing the peace. You're not knowing the joy. You're not knowing the blessings of God. And you want that to change. And you right now want to admit, hey, I need Jesus to save me. I need that relationship with God. If that's you this morning, every head bowed, please. If that's you, I want you to make eye contact with me until I make eye contact with you. So just lift your eyes towards me. I'm looking right now, going through. Thank you. I'm just going through the congregation. Thank you. Just looking. Just looking. 
Once I make eye contact with you, you can put your head back down, put your eyes back down. Thank you. I'm not going to share this. Thank you. This is honesty. Thank you. Four or five have looked at me. Now, I'm not going to say a prayer and ask you to repeat it after me. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to pray. And I want you to share your heart with God. I want you to confess that yes, there's things in your life that you've allowed, that you're allowing, that you know are not what He wants, and you want to submit those things to Him. And I want you, I want you to ask Him to forgive you and, and to come into your life. If, if you've not received Christ as Lord and Savior, it begins there. Just, I'm a sinner and I know I am, God, and I'm sorry. Thank you for opening my eyes today and please forgive me of my sins. And then ask Jesus not just to be your Savior, but to be your Lord. And then ask Him, to help you produce fruit, to start that transition that your life reflects what you're doing right now. Come on. We're going to take a moment. Just pray. You don't have to pray out loud if you don't want to. For all my saints in here, and especially those who are spirit-filled, you need to be praying right now. God is making a real connection. with it. Well, God's doing it, but they're making, they're receiving this connection. And that they don't walk out of here with false faith. They're not walking out of here because they're scared. I want them walking out of here confident knowing that they now have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, His Son, and to leave here ready to start making strides to be more like Jesus, to be His disciple, to be His father. Father, right now I pray for those who looked at me, all five of them, God. I thank You for their honesty. I thank You, Lord. I believe, Father, today there's probably more in here that could do that, Lord, that are comfortable with their sin. Maybe that's You today. Maybe You're saved, but You're just comfortable with Your sin, or You have a, a sin in Your life, something that has grabbed You that You can't let go of. It could be lust. It, 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 it could be alcohol. It could be pornography. It could be anger. It could be unforgiveness. It could be bitterness. And you're living with this. And you said, I'm tired of it. There is power in God to deliver you from that. I believe that with all my heart. And that He wants you set free. So right now, once again, submit it to it. Well, I've done it before. Do it again. Just do it again. Today is the day. I believe that. Touch of God, every one of us here today, in the name of Jesus. Lord, those who are making that decision today, God, Lord, let it be real to them, God. And let them, as we felt earlier in our worship, let them feel your presence every moment of every day. In Jesus' name. Lord, for those who confess they have sin in their life, that they're... They're struggling with. They don't like it. They don't want it. It's hindering their relationship, their walk with you. God, right now, Father, there's nothing. As we sang earlier, there's nothing impossible for you. Right now, in the name of Jesus, deliver them from their sin. Help them to turn it over to you and not to turn back to it ever again. To walk away, never to look at it, never to, 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 to ponder it, Lord. Never, God, to, to be tempted ever again, Father. In Jesus' name. Now, God, as we prepare to leave this house of worship, God, I pray that we all will go back and candor this message in our hearts. As we leave here, God, may we all be determined that we're going to let our, not our little light shine, but we're going to let your light, that great light, shine through us in our words and our actions deeds, God, our attitude. We leave here, God. May we leave fired up, filled up, ready to take on the devil wherever he may come, wherever he may attack, wherever he may present himself. 
Oh God, and may we be ready to reach the lost, God, as you bring them in contact with us. Just God, live our life like Stephen for your glory and speak out an opportunity, Lord, when you open doors. May we not be like Simon. Help us all, God, to be like Stephen and Barnabas, God. Encouragers, givers, God, living out our life for your glory. Lord, for our teachers and our students, God, be with them this week. God, may our roads be safe as our little precious ones are back at school on buses and in cars, God, and just be with our teachers, Lord. Empower them with your spirit. Give them your love, God, to be able to accept every child, Lord, that walks in their classroom, regardless of their background, Lord, regardless of what kind of home they come from, regardless, God, of, Lord, even if they're having identity crisis issues, Lord, as so many are so young today, let your light shine through these educators, each and every one of them. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.